Do you struggle with compulsive desires? Behaviors, habits that take control of your life, often to your own detriment. And at times you really want to do something about it, but it doesn't seem possible. It seems part of the human condition. This is what we will be discussing, how to overcome compulsive desires. Hi everyone, Simon Jacobson here. We will be discussing a very relevant topic that many of us, if not all of us, struggle with. How to overcome compulsive desire. This program is dedicated by Alan Dorfman in honor of his father, Simcha ben Yitzchak. Compulsive desires. Impulsive desires. A human being is not a machine. Each of us have all types of personality, characteristics, impulses, emotions that drive us. Yes, we also have a part of us that is reflective, the reflective mind. But many of our decisions, many of our behaviors often come down to an impulsive drive. Compulsive would mean that it becomes repeated. Now, in many situations, that's actually quite healthy. That when you sense some danger, for example, you smell fire, your impulses immediately tell you, act quickly. You can't sit down and have a whole philosophical discussion. That's part of the human being. That's how we are protected. But when it becomes behaviors or habits that take control of our lives to the point that we don't feel we can do anything about it, to the point that it's actually detrimental, that's when we have a challenge, to put it mildly, to deal with. Some people struggle with this mightily. They want to stop a certain behavior, a habit, from either biting your nails, overeating, other type of uh, compulsive behavior. And as much as they try, it doesn't seem possible. It almost seems like it's wired in. Is this indeed the case? Is it, are we doomed once we are controlled by our compulsions? The answer is absolutely not. And that's what we're going to be discussing. What can one do about compulsive desires? How to overcome them? How to even channel them toward positive behavior? The best way to address any challenge, especially ones that don't seem rational, because very often what happens is you have an impulse, or a compulsion to do something. And it becomes now a repeated behavior, something that's almost automatic. So as much as your mind tells you, I don't want to do this, 
How often do we do things that even though at the moment we know that it may have negative consequences, destructive consequences, and yet we do it anyway. Something takes hold of us. Something consumes us. So how do you deal with that? So the best way to address any issue is to understand the anatomy, to dissect the very makeup of what drives a compulsion. Awareness of a problem is half its cure. Not looking at it, not being aware, then you become its victim. So let's begin with some awareness. Let's shine the light. Let's focus. Put compulsion under the microscope and see what we discover. Always best is to contrast it with the opposite of compulsion. So we're going to be talking about right now two voices or two forces within us, often referred to as the cognitive and the emotional, the mind and the heart. One is driven by reflection, the mind, a healthy mind, not a subjective one, which we'll be discussing shortly. A healthy mind is like a, uh, an analyst. It processes information, it seeks data, about any given topic, looks into it, processes, evaluates, and comes up with a conclusion based on the facts one discovers. Like a machine. Like you put data into a calculator, you put through numbers, and it'll give you a result. Not exactly like a machine, but at its best, that's what a mind is. It reflects. So if someone calls you and says, hey, I have an offer for you. And they're very persuasive. They know how to manipulate your emotions. A healthy mind will say, one second here. I hear your offer. I have to think about it. A good telemarketer or a good salesperson is going to immediately, a good marketer is going to tell you, no, the, the offer is, expires in 30 seconds, in, th in 30 minutes. They want you to make a decision more on your, based on your imp impulses and your emotions than on your reflection. But if you stand strong, you reflect, and then you come back and say to yourself, one second, I don't need this. Yes, it sounds exciting, but when you reflect on it and think about it, I can live without it, or it's worthless. How many mistakes do we make because, precisely because of that reason, that we act quickly without thinking it through properly? It's interesting. I would say most mistakes we make come from that issue. Something compels us and it could be, in this case, the example is coming from outside. It can come something, a voice from within. You act on it and so on. So the mind, in its, at its best, it's a reflective force. The heart, on the other hand, emotions, is an impulsive one. For the good, it's an impulse that tells you act quickly because there's either danger or something important that has to be done. For the bad... It becomes something that controls you, and you're not, since you're not reflecting, you just act on it. So there you have two voices, two forces within us. Newborn children, young children, are driven primarily by impulse. The child is hungry, so it's wired in the child to cry, or a child is in pain, 
is the only way for the child to react. The child does not yet have the capacity. The mind is not yet developed into a reflective force. The child's going to say, one second, I cried, now I'll wait till my mother and my father come and feed me. No, it's an impulse, an impulse, a healthy impulse. We all have a healthy impulse. You get tired, you go to sleep. You get hungry, you go eat something. You're thirsty, you drink. You don't need to sit down and reflect on it. You may need to reflect what to eat or what to drink and how much to sleep and how to sleep. But overall, these are part of our hardwired needs for survival. But that's fine. But then the child grows older. And we're not talking about an absolute need. And for whatever reason, maybe you try something, you're copying someone else. You know, I've dealt with, just to use, it's not a trivial example, but it's an example. People deal with nail biting, I mentioned before. No one is born biting their nails. It usually comes, actually, by copying a friend. It becomes an outlet. It's a way of expressing anxiety. And if, it's, if you develop this habit at a young age, it becomes extremely hard to change. So that leads us to the question itself, are impulses hardwired? Does it nurture our nature? Well, some impulses are definitely nature. I just meant children and other instincts that we have. But some are, are acquired, for sure. But they become acquired, especially at a young, impressionable age. They're almost like hardwired within us. There's an expression that repeated habits become like nature. So in that situation, that becomes the way, and it gets increasingly difficult as we grow older to stop. The same thing with other habits. I'm just using a simple example. Now, it can get much worse when you're dealing with addictions, especially addictions to substances or behaviors that are actually destructive. As I mentioned, they take control of your life. Reflection doesn't help because the impulse is not part of who you are. Whether nurture or nature, let's say nurture, but the nurture has become something you turn to. Now, obviously, the logic would state, just as you assumed it and acquired it, you could also unacquire it. You can release yourself from it. Of course, that's what we're discussing here. How? Logic would say that, but how? That's the big question. So what the anatomy of a compulsion, generally impulse and compulsion, impulsive behavior and compulsive is usually distinguished. Impulse is usually defined as, as thoughtless action. A feeling or action, a behavior that is not without any given thought. Compulsion is usually repeated behavior. So they overlap, obviously. An impulse can lead to compulsion. Every compulsive behavior is a form of impulsive behavior. But impulsive doesn't necessarily mean compulsive. But it's not so relevant to our discussion because whether it's a one-time thing or it's a repeated thing, which we're addressing more repeated behavior, the root of the issue is the same. And that is something, a force within you, that is not driven by deliberation, thought, process, evaluation, reflection. And to the extent that it is now in control of your behavior. So let's go even further. What exactly is this then? Why can't you say to yourself, hey, you know what, this is not the thing to do. Because clearly it's very much part of how we function. I mentioned before, it's healthy for us to have certain impulses. If not, we would be hurt 
and even can die from it if we don't have the natural impulses to react to certain things. The problem is when those impulses are directed toward the wrong type of behavior. So for that reason, we do also have the mind, the reflective mind. Can we do anything to reinforce, strengthen and bolster the mind, the reflective mind, to speak to this emotion? We know the other way around, definitely the case. So let's talk a moment about biases and prejudices. Once a person has a subjective attitude to something, to the point, let's even call it an impulse or compulsion, something else happens which makes it even worse. You begin to justify it. You begin to use your mind. That's actually meant to check it and control impulses. The impulses begin to control the mind. Just like the blood of the heart runs to the brain, the emotions take control of the brain and tell you this is correct behavior, you justify it, you deny, you minimize, you, to the point that you can even be so blinded that you don't even realize you're subjective. This happens all the time. Someone challenges you and says, this is not the right behavior. I'm saying, you give them a thousand reasons why it's correct. You give yourself a thousand reasons. What has happened now? Not just that impulsive and compulsive behavior has taken control. What's happening is your mind is now also held, being held hostage by this behavior. So what do you do now? Well, here is how we also can begin to reverse it. Recognizing that. We're all subjective people. We're not going to ever change that. But you can recognize your subjectivity. And that's where the beginning of the healing always begins with the recognition. That arrogance, that certainty, that uh, self-righteousness has to be minimized or even eliminated. So we introduce the concept that I've discussed many times, that secret formula, that secret weapon, if you wish, good weapon, called bitl, B-I-T-T-U-L. Combination of humility and modesty, but above all, suspending your perspective and allowing in something greater than yourself. is the first step to all growth, to all healing, to all achievements. As long as you're so self-contained and so convinced, then you become your own worst enemy. Now, I understand that some people are ready at that state, and it doesn't always help, but that's the first step to always begin with that. It always begins with that. So, are you open and ready to hear another perspective and truly listen? No one can force you. You have to be willing. You have to want to. Now, some of us had to hit rock bottom before we are responsive to that. Hopefully, we don't have to wait for that. So think about it. You know, it's always good. This is also a reflective process. Even if you have not yet controlled the impulse or the compulsive, the compulsive uh, behavior, the compulsive desire, it's still a reflection because at least you're talking about it. Even better is to sit and write down. If you have the discipline, it would be great to start a journal and actually document and say, here are some of the compulsive behaviors and compulsive desires I have succumbed to 
today, the next day. Not easy to do, because most of us don't want to recognize and definitely not have it glaring in our face. But if you can do that, you're going a long way toward coping with it. So, so mark down, in some pa- 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 fashion, this type of behavior. I'm not talking about even controlling it. Just be aware of it. Another angle to this is to speak to someone about it. To, uh, it could be a friend. It could be a mentor. It could be a therapist. Now you'll say, what does speaking help? Because once it's no longer your secret no longer controlled in your domain, you've introduced fresh air. This is one of the first steps of Bittal. Because you are challenging yourself in a certain way just by acknowledging that there's something to address here. So that's step number one. Now, of course, that doesn't just solve the problem. But you've identified it, and you're also not allowing, you're checking and not allowing the mind to be controlled by these impulses. So that's a big step because the mind, if it's being held hostage, then it becomes part of the problem. You want to at least identify, here's an issue. I don't know what to do about it yet, but at least I know that it's an issue. If you're not ready for that, I'm not sure even what one can say. Because at the end of the day, you can't help someone who's not going to help themselves, not ready to help themselves. So I'm discussing, obviously, someone who wants to do something about it. So what you've done is at least created two realities. The reality of your compulsions and your desires, and the reality of recognizing that they're in place, and it's something you want to address. So if you allowed your mind to begin to be active in at least distinguishing between these two. But let's take it a step further now. It comes down to what really, what type of person are we? So a lot of modern psychology, not all, but especially the Freudian school and its variations, see a human being as just a compulsive animal an impulsive creature. Because the id, the pleasure principle, is so much embedded in the core of our beings that that's a driving force. Especially, look in the area of sexuality. It's not something we just decide. It seems to be coming from within, from our deepest recesses of our very psyche. What can be expected, according to this school of thought, is some manner of checks and balances, ego and superego, to coexist with others so you don't just completely live by your pure impulses. But desire is the deepest aspect of a human being, and that's that. Is this true? Because if it's true, then you can't really expect someone to rewire their whole very existence, their very being. But there's an alternative psychological model, which I am going to share here. And that is that at the core and essence of who you are is goodness, is giving, is virtue, is soulfulness, transcendence. 
That doesn't mean there was no pleasure, no desire, and no impulsive and compulsive desires to contend with. But once you know that at the core and essence of you, there's another beautiful angel, let's call it, the angel within, that changes the entire perspective. Then it's a matter of who's going to prevail, which core part, which force that's in your core personality. Because if goodness and kindness and behavior of that nature, positive behavior, is acquired and the vice, the vices of our desires are inherent, the rule always is that inherent forces are always going to prevail, always be more powerful than acquired behavior, education. So it's vital in our lives to understand that the inherent part is not just the wild desires. Now we all know, every one of us has our moments, or more than moments, where we completely behave in ways that we may even be ashamed of. That darker side within us, that ugly corner within our darker recesses of our psyche. Behavior that is completely not rational, but feeds some reptilian element of our beings, survival, pleasure, and afterwards we often regret it. So we're not dismissing that at all. But how much do we know about our other side? It's obvious that if you're not taught about the core essence of the beauty of your life, most of us will gravitate, obviously, to the voice of compulsive, impulsive, and compulsive desire, because that comes natural. So you say, why doesn't the other one come natural? Ah, the mystics explain, because that's precisely the purpose of life, is to have the battle between these two voices. There would be no battle if our compulsive behavior was only pure and holy and angelic. So we have to contend with and deal with the concealment of that inner and deeper dimensions within, the beautiful dimensions. So how do we feed that? How do we nourish that? We feed and nourish it by learning about it, by reading about it. So in addition to the first step that I had said, journalizing, writing down your compulsions and how often you succumb to them, the second thing is to commit to a regimen of learning about your soul. Because the more awareness you have of it, the more it will become apparent in your life. It doesn't take much effort, if you think about it, to love somebody. It takes effort to maintain it, to make sure it's done right. But love is also a natural instinct within us. Love is not acquired. If we didn't have any negative forces and toxic elements in our lives, we would be completely loving human beings. Love is a perfect example of an inherent part of who we are, whether it's loving our spouse or loving our children or loving friends or siblings or parents. Love is a very powerful force. Yes, love could also become an obsession. And love is definitely an emotional element. 
But love is also a beautiful one when it's harnessed and directed in the right, in the right way, the right, to the right cause. So when you think about it, we have within us many voices. The first step in all is to pause and reflect what's going on in your life. As soon as you do that, you have already begun the journey. Because the nature of compulsion, no pun intended, is that it's compulsive. It takes over. So you don't want it to take over. So the first thing is to recognize that you have, first of all, a very pure and beautiful soul. At the same time, you have another voice that compels you, so to speak, that you feel compels you. And they're at war with each other. So practically speaking, you may say, okay, so what do I do? Fine, all this is nice on paper, philosophically. Comes down to it, my habits control me. After I heard, after I heard your class, Rabbi Jacobson, yes, it lasted for a half hour, but I gravitated right back to my old behaviors. So there's a concept of divide and conquer. You don't have to go cold turkey and change your whole life in over a moment. My suggestion would be, once you've identified something you feel is impulsive or compulsive behavior, a desire, so let's work on one corner. It's like when you want to untangle yarn or wires, you can't just untangle it all in one shot. What ends up happening is it gets more tangled. Let's take the edges, the easier things to untangle. Today, can you take any of your compulsive desires and say to yourself, I'm not going to give in to one of them. Or if it's repeated, I'm going to minimize. And, and, mar and, and, uh, mar and mark down at the end of the day, were you successful? Don't look at it like the rest of my life I have to change everything that I was and all my behaviors and my habits and my rituals. Take one thing at a time. You'll say, well, that's not going to change at all. You'd be surprised. Because what you want to introduce, it's just like an infection inside of that's festering. You can't just get rid of it. You have to introduce some fresh air, something that will counter the toxins. So the mere fact that you're looking at it and you're weakening it a bit, just a bit, you're lowering the volume, is a great achievement. You'd be surprised. It's not about quantity, it's about quality. It's a shift. When somebody's wandered off in the forest, no one ends up lost in a forest overnight. You, you veer off the road, a little more, a little more, you keep veering off until suddenly, days later or months later, you're completely lost. Once you're lost, what do you do? You start looking around for signposts for the, to the sky. Where am I? But as long as you keep traveling in the dark, blindly, you're going to continue to wander and get more entangled. When do things change? Not when you suddenly discover where you went. When there's a shift. Maybe you stop going in that direction. Maybe try a different direction. Maybe retrace your steps. The shift is the key thing. The qualitative shift from going into the dark and continuing, and now something has changed. And now it may take time till you get back where you want to be, but if you, ever, if you can identify the moment when that little turn, that shift, then you know that's where the healing began.
The same thing is psychologically. Impulses and compulsive desires take control over us. And as such, we become blinded by them. We're lost. It's exactly the same thing. We're lost, especially when you're in the throes and being held by the tentacles of your desires. We all know what kind of power that is. So it's not about completely changing. It's about a shift. And the shift is one step less, one less surrender, one surrender less. I'm not sure which expression to use. One step, one step back where you're not giving in to all of the compulsions, to all of the desires, to all of those moments. Try one. And then move from one to two. Take it a step at a time. That shift that's consistent, that you can do each day, will change your life. No doubt. The challenge you're going to have is the inertia of the status quo that will keep tugging at you to not do that and even minimize. It'll even tell you, what's one step? What do you think you're already going to accomplish? And the second challenge is to maintain that attitude. We begin and then we give up. So how does one do that? So two suggestions. One is be accountable to someone. Speak to someone and report to them. In addition to writing it down for yourself, report and say, here's how I've been doing. And if you have a setback, so be it. We all have setbacks. Don't see that as a failure. It's part of the process. So number one is be accountable. So the other person helps you somewhat to overcome that inertia and the challenge of not doing something consistently. The second thing is what I have spoken about and have been speaking about. Immerse yourself in your spiritual spa. Spa is an acronym for study, prayer, action. Three pillars upon which the universe, both the micro-universe and the macro-universe, the human being, who's a small universe and microcosm, and the larger world, rest upon three foundational pillars. The cognitive, the emotional, and the behavioral. So three ways to nourish those three. Well, three ways. Three, to nourish these three pillars, we need cognitive conditioning, emotional conditioning, and behavioral. Cognitive is what I mentioned earlier, studying. Reading about the soul. Reading about these two voices. Almost looking at it from an objective perspective, even though it's about you. Oh, these are the two voices. And then identifying them in yourself. The second is prayer, which is not just, I don't mean it's just in a religious context. It means emoting. Learning to express your emotions. Now, impulses and compulsive behavior comes from the emotions or is connected to the emotions, I should say. So by emoting, speaking to someone, learning how to express yourself, that, in many ways, is yet another tool of rewiring and, in many ways, tinkering with and weakening the hold of, the, of compulsive desires. Because when you can focus on, on an emotional behavior, talk to someone you love, have a conversation... You're investing energy in it. That energy would have been used by your impulsive and compulsive desires. So when you can direct emotional behavior, emotional actions, emotional 
interactions, I should say, with another, what you're actually doing is you're weakening, you're draining the energy from using it toward unhealthy emotional impulses and compulsive desires toward something positive. So that's number two. And third is behavioral conditioning, actions. We, don't, we underestimate the power of an action. Even though an action is not necessarily reconditioning your mind and your feelings and everything we've been discussing, but action does wonders. When you stretch out your arm to help another, you give someone charity, you help them, you volunteer, you give them advice, acts of goodness and kindness, generosity, gratitude, actions that come into real action, there's something about it that has a concrete element, a concrete force, that the actions actually affect the emotions. Very often, if not at all times, the compulsive desires, especially when they consume us, is very selfish. It's all about me. It's all about you. I'm doing this right now. You may not be thinking about it that way, but at the end of the day, it's all about you. If you can spend time helping another, you don't have time to think about you and your compulsions. You simply won't have time to do it. Keep yourself busy helping another. That alone, in a way, weakens the hold of your own self-contained desires. Now you'll say, well, I can't do that 24-7. That's true. But as I said, step by step, begin. Begin to become a giver in very actionable and behavioral ways. And it will, again, weaken the hold of being a taker, which is so much part of compulsive behavior and desires. And finally, let me say one more thing about desire. Desire, per se, is a beautiful thing. Desire, passion. I want something really powerful. But you need to distinguish between healthy desires and unhealthy ones. You also need to distinguish between the power of desire and the object of the desire. The power of desire is a, is a powerful and beautiful thing. The object can be destructive. So the final point is that the real goal ultimately, can I take the things that I am impelled or the impulses, my impulsive and compulsive desires, can I channel them towards something positive? Which means helping another, some way living up to your calling in this world. Going back to what I said earlier about the soul, its purpose to illuminate, to give. That type of focus, understanding why am I here? Why are you here? You're definitely not here just to satisfy and give in to all your desires. You're here to bring to this world a unique and special light. And this is the final exercise. Focus your life. Are you focused to the purpose of your life? When you're giving in, succumbing, and surrendering to compulsive behavior, compulsive desires, you're not focusing on your purpose. You're focusing on whatever it is, your habit, your ritual. It's completely about the action, whatever it does for you, even if it does nothing, but you think it does something. What are you doing already? You're focused on something that's completely not about your mission in this world. So the more you learn about your mission and the more you wake up each morning and saying, I'm going to embrace my mission, 
and act on it. As I said, the spa, study prayer action, cognitive, emotional, and behavioral, all directed toward that mission. That ultimately is the greatest force that can counter any minutia, any details, even the most obsessive and compulsive behaviors that so often control our lives. So is the light of your mission that dispels the darkness of your compulsive desires. And what it brings to you is the most beautiful result that you're living up to why you are here. And this you can also put down finally on paper. Why am I here? Am I here to, fill, to satisfy those compulsive desires that take over my life? Or am I here to actually draw down and manifest the beautiful energy of your unique soul, of your unique personality? When you think that way, most, if not all, issues can be preempted and channeled toward healthy goals and objectives. And there's no doubt that when a person puts the effort in, we're blessed from above that that effort will be rewarded with fruit, with success, in becoming the person you should be. Not just the person who you are right now, but what you're really capable of. Thank you very much. This has been Simon Jacobson. Meaningfullife.com is our website where you can find this program, many, many others, a robust calendar of events and discussions on all platforms, social media, that are here to help us immerse ourselves in our spiritual spa, Meaningful Life Center, a wellness center, to help you focus and discover who you are and actualize it in your life. Please be, stay in touch. Communicate with us. Questions, comments, likes, share. Let's make this into a movement that has a ripple effect and brings health to every individual and to the entire world. Thank you again. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com slash donate.